0: Good morning, class! For today's history lesson, we're going to talk about someone very important, the President of the United States of America. Now, I'm sure a lot of your parents have told you that maybe one day you'll grow up to be the president. I want to let you know right now that that is a lie. Not one of you in this class will ever be president. Hello, welcome to the Almost Presidents podcast weekly coverage of the 2024 election. In a shrinking primary field full of losers, or almost presidents, we're here to keep you up to speed on the news you need to know. On today's episode, Ron DeSantis suspends his presidential campaign because as it turns out, bullying gay and trans kids is a lot easier than running for president where you have to pick on adults, especially when one of those adults is Donald Trump. Although I guess perhaps we should put uh, adults in air quotes, but all good. The New Hampshire primary is happening or may have happened when you're listening to this. It's happening for both the Republicans and the Democrats. Although on the Democratic side, the DNC isn't too happy about that since switching their first in the nation state to South Carolina. Dean Phillips receives a key endorsement from someone that the Discovery Channel has been looking for for years. And Feeling the Burgum with Doug Burgum. So before we get to probably the best news I've gotten all year, which is DeSantis suspending his campaign, Kevin, as you know, Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie dropped out of the race last week. We did our best to cover it without you, but just wanted to give you the opportunity if you had any last thoughts for Vivek and our former governor, Chris Christie. I know we've been talking about these guys for months and especially with Vivek, right? Parting can be such sweet sorrow. I mean, he really... Was something to watch on that debate stage, made you want to potentially gouge your eardrums out. And I mean, I don't know. As far as I go, Chris Christie' absence is kind of making the heart grow fonder, if I'm honest, because he and uh, Asa Hutchinson were the only guys in the race that had some semblance of a backbone and integrity, keeping democracy alive before just advancing their own political careers. But the vacant Chris Christie out, old
1: news to listeners. But Kevin, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all. And you kind of brought his name up at the end there, right? But I just want to note the disrespect to my boy Asa Hutchinson, who dropped out amidst these other two guys as well with a competitive 161 votes in Iowa, which to be fair, with the amount of people who actually showed up in Iowa, isn't that bad. Yeah, that's (laughs) decent. But he dropped out along with these other guys. I don't have any more thoughts about Asa Hutchinson (laughs) than probably anybody else does because nobody really cared about him except for, you know, maybe the five or so minutes that he spoke on the first debate. Chris Christie, sad to see, obviously was never going to happen. So not surprising, but you know, a little sad because I agree. One of the few people on the stage with a backbone there with Vivek, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a different approach here and I'm going to, I'm going to say, I think deep down all of us kind of left-leaning people will actually miss Vivek Ramaswamy being in the race. I think a lot of us, We didn't like to admit it to ourselves, but we loved to hate Vivek. And unlike Donald Trump or or Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy never had any real power. He just kind of shouted things on the internet, really stupid things, really obnoxious things. And he just, I almost imagine he kind of, you know, people have this tendency to just sort of nag at their partner, girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, husband, whatever. People will just like think up new ways to bother them. and. That was vivek right and and his wife was was liberals and progressives. he was just sitting there thinking, "What can I say today just to like get under these people's skin and he did that pretty successfully, and it was kind of fun i'll I'll be honest, it was kind of fun, so I'll say yeah, some yeah. nice things about Vivek at the end there in that sense, he ran a great campaign,
0: uh, if that's what he was looking to do he achieved he achieved that objective and then some
1: which it's to be fair, that- I mean that is kind of the the whole game with the Republican Party these days, right? So
0: yeah, it's just that when your metaphorical husband starts to get racist and say that nine eleven was an inside job, uh, that that's when it starts to get a little bit. You know, you start kind of looking at the door and just thinking, I I might need to ditch this person, <laughs> find somebody well, else.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's at some point, yeah, you got to kind of ask yourself if it's really worth sticking it out for uh, good old Vivek. But those are my thoughts there at the end for those two guys.
0: And we'll see with Chris Christie. I'm convinced that he's not done. It's just that running for president, it's not something he's ever truly doing. So perhaps there's another way that he could kind of get a microphone and continue to make his point.
1: MSNBC or CNN will probably hire him or something. I feel like that's, that's the route to go for him. He can't become a politician again. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see the bulwark taking him on as well. Sarah Long will be happy to
1: have him. Yeah, there's a couple places he could go. All right, so with that out of the way, jumping into our first item, since we're talking about people who dropped out of the race and joined the illustrious Hall of Fame that is the pantheon of almost presidents, and that would be Ron DeSantis, who dropped out this week. Ron DeSantis, when he dropped out, did endorse Donald Trump. And in response to that, the Trump campaign said it was honored by the endorsement. And they added that it is now time for all Republicans to rally behind President Trump to defeat President Biden in November. Susie Wiles, who was a former DeSantis advisor, took over as a Trump campaign strategist, had a more succinct message to Ron DeSantis, her former, I guess, boss. And it was just bye-bye, which I think is what most of us are probably (laughs) saying. That's really all all we've got to say to, to good old Ron here.
0: Yeah, honestly, I I love this story. Uh, we always say here that when it rains and thunders down on Ron DeSantis's head, it, there's there's rainbows for the rest of us. But you just saying that he now is officially an almost president. Like, do we have to claim this guy? I don't want him. I don't want him to be president. But I don't I don't want him to be. An, I don't I don't want him.
1: Yeah, we we kind of do, right? I mean, we in fairness, we got a lot worse people in that pantheon, right? There's. Plenty of, of proto-Confederates and post-Neo-Confederate kind of guys. So, you know, there are lots of guys who are worse than Meatball Ron.
0: Yeah, I guess they don't all get to be uh, Bobby Kennedys. And even Bobby Kennedy wasn't
1: a saint. With Ron DeSantis endorsing Donald Trump, he actually, I think, fulfills a quote of his that he had said actually only six days earlier. That, that's going to be important for this quote. He said, Quote, you can be the most worthless Republican in America. If you kiss the ring, Trump will say you're wonderful. And that seems to have been a prophecy. And in this case, Meatball Ron was the most worthless Republican in America. And Donald Trump did come around and say that he was wonderful after he kissed the ring, which he did willingly and apparently happily.
0: I don't think he's ever said a more true thing in his life. Yeah, exactly like you said. you got a worthless Republican. That's that's you, Ron DeSantis, and he is kissing the ring. And he's claiming, I guess, it's because, hey, look, I don't agree with Trump on everything. I don't agree with all the power that he gave Fauci, blah blah blah. One last snipe at Nikki Haley, but I signed that pledge that said that I would support the Republican nominee. So even though we've only had one state that caucused and no states that have primary yet, I'm supporting the Republican nominee. Which just reminds me of how all those freaking news outlets called Iowa before people were even done caucusing. It just drives you nuts. But in a way, I have to respect the way that DeSantis dropped out of the race. He dropped out the same way he dropped in, disgracefully, embarrassingly, shamefully. So he dropped out on X. I didn't watch the video because it was 10 minutes. And that's usually, I think five minutes is where I kind of max out with DeSantis content. Like If there's a debate, at least there's the idea that somebody might jump in and cut the guy off. But if I just have to look at his face for 10 minutes, can't do it
1: but, I was gonna say you're you're way more generous with your time than me for me it's a solid 30 seconds and then I'm like I've had enough to say this I mean it's for the podcast
0: I mean Jesus Christ I, I, I read his book for this podcast so much I love you people um, but he had above the video a quote from Winston Churchill which okay quotes Churchill I wouldn't exactly equate him and Churchill as in the same uh, class of leadership but it turns out that this Churchill quote was not even from Winston Churchill. More specifically, it was from a Budweiser ad from 1938. So somebody in his campaign fucked that up, just like they fucked the rest of his campaign up. And it just—I think it was a perfect way to put a bow on. What was what the, the what was the most, quote? The quote was: "Success is not final; failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts." Winston Churchill. So
1: yeah, I was I was also gonna say, post the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing, quoting a subsidiary of Anheuser Busch doesn't seem like a good look for Ron DeSantis's image, right? As yeah, man, the anti-woke crusader.
0: Like you're already coming back to Mickey Mouse kicking your ass in Florida. Do you really want to come back with uh that <laughs>
1: quoting quoting Budweiser? I don't know. No, definitely not. And you know, so Meatball Ron, or Ron De Sanctimonious, whatever you want to call, putting fingers Ron, whatever you want to call him. You know, I don't know what you think, Ryan, but I personally don't think he really ever had that much of a shot. I think Trump was always going to win this, but despite that, his campaign was notably marred with dysfunction and disorganization, which undoubtedly contributed to his downfall. Here, quoting from a guy named Terry Sullivan, who is a Republican consultant who worked on the Marco Rubio campaign, so another Florida man there. Um, He said, quote, it's like a case study on how not to run for president, which is a fantastic summary right there, if you ever wanted a one-sentence summary of the DeSantis campaign.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to become president of the United States, you have a perfect playbook for things to do the exact opposite of.
1: Yeah. And another quote, uh, this one's from... Stuart Stevens, who is another GOP strategist, in fairness, he's a little bit more of like a Trump critic, but, you know, whatever. He said, quote, there could have been another DeSantis candidacy. He could have run as the embodiment of the American dream. A middle class kid who made it to Harvard and Yale, served in the military, was a teacher. That's a guy who celebrates America, an opportunity, and wants to expand those opportunities. That DeSantis is likable and electable. Instead." He ran on anger. And, you know, while I'm skeptical that any strategy would have saved DeSantis's campaign, I do think that's like at least a respectable campaign, a campaign that you can kind of hang your hat on and say, I did my best. It-
0: it's a respectable campaign, but it's, I just see, I mean, you can see I marked this up with so many different Google comments. I, I have so many issues with this because, first of all, on his face, this is not what the Republicans want right now. They don't want one of America's best running on this idea of this is the embodiment of the American dream. This is how great America could be for you. Look at Ron DeSantis. They don't want that. They want vengeance and they want to make the lips cry. So if he's running on anger, I think that's probably the better way to do it. He just didn't do it right because there's no way to do it right. But let's pick this apart. So, served in the military. Okay, that's great. I mean, I think. That could have worked if he swerved into the fact that uh, he was present during a lot of the times they use enhanced interrogation, aka torture techniques, on uh, Guantanamo Bay prisoners. He did that. The teacher thing—I mean, Trump would have destroyed him even more. Like, Trump was the one who got that whole thing going. That there was rumors that he had groomed female students. So I don't think that would have worked. I mean, I, I just—and there's no way to make this guy likable. I think that would be the most challenging thing to do. I would be interested to have the greatest campaign staffers in the history of politics try and make this guy like, you can't do it. It's like making the color black, white. You just, you can't. It's impossible.
1: Well, I think all of that is true. And obviously, I think if you zoom in on the details, some of these things don't look as good. Yeah, like the served in the military thing. I mean, and again, that's me caring about that as a liberal. I don't necessarily think that. Any Republican would care that he was working in Guantanamo Bay. I don't think that would really matter to them. But I mean, you do bring up a good point. Like, it's it's a hundred percent true that arguably what this guy Stuart Stevens is arguing for is the campaign, roughly. You know, not exactly, but roughly the campaign that Tim Scott ran, and he did nothing. He told it was a total flop and a total waste of of tons of people's money. He ran this like, oh, I'm a guy who came from not much and I did so well for myself and I want to expand those opportunities and I think America's great and I'm so likable and I'm so electable and I'm not angry <laughs> and it didn't work at all. So yeah I now mean, I, Trump. So yeah. And I, I agree. And that's why I say I don't think it would have worked. But I think it would have been a campaign that you could sort of hang your hat on and be like, you know, I tried my best and I stood for the things that I believed in, etc. But I think the point is that And this is something we didn't really talk about in all of our coverage of DeSantis, but it is worth noting that you could spin a story here, right? Like there is a story that you could tell about DeSantis' life that sounds good to people, but we didn't really ever hear that story. DeSantis never came off as personable at all, never talked about his own life story really at all. Instead, all we got was him attacking DeSantis trans kids, high schoolers, and yelling at five-year-olds for wearing cloth masks. It was just humiliating. It was just embarrassing. I don't think he has the humor that Donald Trump does that allows him to be so cruel. Right, DeSantis just doesn't have it.
0: Yeah. He doesn't have the likable bully. He just has the bully. But then when you put him on the national stage, he was the one who was getting bullied. So he didn't look like the alpha anymore. He looked like a... A beta,
1: yeah, and all of these situations where he bullied people, they don't and look so good once lists. you, once you like zoom back in on them. You know that that story. I don't know that it was a five year old. I made up the age, but like that's were, a real story. A
0: older, but it was just it was weird. It, it was just unnecessary.
1: It was yeah, but it was, it's a real thing he did. He yelled at a child for wearing a mask. You don't come off as tough when you do that.
0: <laughs> so, do you have a favorite moment of this just months long supernova of a campaign?
1: I got to say, to me, nothing really beats the conspiracy theory that he's secretly wearing high heels within his shoes. That was just classic. Street. That was just classic.
0: For me, there's, there's two. The one happened I, actually within days of him suspending the campaign. But the first one I really liked was when uh, I believe it was in Iowa and he was interacting with this little girl. Um, I use I use interacting loosely because DeSantis doesn't really know how to talk to human beings, which is especially children, which is wild because he has three kids. Some I think most of whom are around the age of this this girl, and the girl was having a slush puppy, and he he I think he asked her oh like oh oh what are you eating and she's like oh like uh, icy or whatever, and he's like oh I bet there's a lot of sugar in that, and then just walks away. <laughs> that I think I think all the little interpersonal interactions because honestly, as I bring that one up. There was also the one where he uh, asked the guy what his name is. The guy tells him and he says, okay, and he walks away. I mean, they were all golden in their own way. But did you see – do you know The
1: Good Liars? You've told me about them. I haven't really watched it.
0: So The Good Liars, uh, for you and for our listeners, if you haven't heard them, they're kind of like these left-wing provocateurs almost. They're the guys who – gave a, ro- a roll of condoms to uh, Herschel Walker. They do kind of pranks like that. They go to Trump rallies, CPAC. They kind of interview you know, crazy right-wing people and just kind of show you how their views are very hypocritical and in some cases just evil. So the one guy he... After DeSantis's you know victory speech in Iowa, after getting destroyed by uh 50 of what 110,000 voters, gives him a participation trophy, and it and he gets him so candidly. Ron is with his wife Casey, and he says, "We just want to give you this participation trophy." And Casey just laughs. laughs, like before she before she can catch herself, she laughs. And he's like, "We just want to say that we know you're not going to be president, but we're proud of you for trying." I mean, this is Ron; he's our little snowflake. We're proud of him. And so we just want to give you this participation trophy. And he doesn't take it. And he wounds up being uh, escorted away. But it was kind of a funny moment there.
1: You told me that story earlier, and I didn't pick up on the participation trophy bit. I totally forgot that there's this whole culture in conservative circles that thinks participation trophies are bringing about the end of the American empire.
0: Uh, right. And they're, and they're the motherfuckers that gave them to us. Yeah. Which is the most ironic yeah, part. Yeah, just, yeah.
1: yeah, and, and and if their kid was ever deprived of one, they're the ones who would be calling the school, calling the head of the uh, sports league, whatever.
0: Yeah. So ultimately, Ron's going to go back to Florida. he so got Mickey Mouse on his plate to worry about. And I guess he's got to sort out. Did you hear about the situation in a school where they're doing all the book banning in Florida as they do? And they're Banning the dictionary now. This one school, it, it's up. It's not banned. It's up for review because you can look up sexual terms in it.
1: Yeah, I I did hear about this and and that. If that isn't the best summary of Florida's war on education, I don't know what is.
0: Yeah, I mean not not to steal the joke from uh, uh, the left, right, center uh, co host guy who kind of brought this to my attention, but like it, they can't even look up the word moron. That's a political cartoon that draws itself.
1: Yeah, but. As much as there's a part of me that this is like a closure moment for us, because we did that whole Florida man series for a while. And, you know, it feels like we're finally putting away Ron DeSantis. And I wanna say that I'm sad. I really do. But I'm I'm really not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I mean, I'm sad in the sense that like now he's putting his full attention back uh, in Florida and all those poor kids in those school systems, you know, all those poor closeted Gay, trans kids, even adults, I mean, just being completely uh, persecuted in that state. And then just this education that's being rewritten to just disavow things like slavery. I mean, this guy's gonna go back to doing significant damage as he had been doing. So I don't know, I guess it's better that it's not taking place at a national stage, but he's just a terrible person.
1: Well the good news is, and in a couple of articles that I read They brought up how, well, you know, 2028 is wide open. And the good news is, is that almost certainly there is no shot that we're going to see DeSantis 2028 as like a real thing. I think this is, I mean, maybe he'll try, but it will be equally as embarrassing as it was the last time. The downside is that it will probably be somebody worse in 2028. (laughs) All right. So with the Iowa caucus done and the results, unsurprising, Trump completely cleaning up there we're going to look ahead to the new hampshire primary which by the time that you are listening to this will have happened so starting with the republican side there isn't a lot to note here since you know almost everybody has dropped out at this point but it is worth noting that this is the state or arguably one of the states that haley was most likely to win and so it is really going to be a big test for her campaign so, Haley, and- Haley's
0: going Haley's to win. Haley's going to win. By the time this comes out, she'll have won. I've heard some different, uh, <laughs> more conservative-leaning shows kind of saying that, like, she if she loses this, you know, like, it, as long as it's close, there's, there's hope for the race continuing. She has to win. It's do or die. And she did. She didn't die. And uh, the listeners already know that because this primary already happened. But Nikki Haley is going to win.
1: Okay, bold prediction there, because the n- the next thing I was going to talk about was the polls, which show in the most recent couple of polls, Trump has a plus 27 and a plus 16 advantage. One of those, the earlier poll there, did not pull out DeSantis in advance of this. So the poll reads Trump 53, Haley 37, and DeSantis 10. Now, we generally know the that- other- yeah, most DeSantis voters really like Trump as well, and they do not like Nikki Haley. So, you know, the, the next poll, the more recent poll has Trump at 62 and Haley at 35. That kind of follows from that trend. So I think those two polls basically say it all. Haley definitely, at least the polls indicate that she's not in a good position. If this primary doesn't go the way that it seems it's going to go, <laughs> it wouldn't be shocking if Haley dropped out soon after. Now, She does have South Carolina, which is her home state. But that's Trump country, man. I mean,
0: I went there last spring break, and uh, that is Trump country.
1: And I was just going to say the polls bear that out. Depending on which poll you look at, Trump either has a plus 40 or a plus 30 advantage. And the plus 40 ones are are a little more recent. The plus 30 ones are kind of old. So it's just not looking good for Nikki Haley. I know I think probably her plan is just to ride out, at the very least, New Hampshire. Maybe she'll ride out South Carolina. I don't know. But yeah, it's not not looking good there.
0: It's been interesting watching Haley come out of Iowa because she came out with this weird speech saying that she was in a two-man race now, the way that she viewed it, right? And everybody kind of made fun of her because they just assumed that her speechwriter didn't change the fact that uh, she actually came in third, not second. And the speech very heavily implied that she came in second. But what I think is that she was just on the phone with Marianne Williamson doing a little uh, maybe virtual palm reading or something like that. And uh, Marianne Williamson looked at her star sign and said, look, it is going to be a two-man race, actually a, a man and a woman. That's going to be it because I predict that DeSantis is going to drop out. So Haley actually knew ahead of time. She had some uh, information from uh, the Nostradamus of the Democratic Party, Marianne Williamson. But it's it's just so tough because... I, in all seriousness, cannot see a way for Haley to walk out of New Hampshire with the win, and this is her best shot. Because if you are a DeSantis voter, you're not necessarily voting for DeSantis because you want a Trump alternative. You're oftentimes finding yourself, presumably, to the right of Trump, because that's where DeSantis is on most things, to the right of Trump. So if your guy, DeSantis, is out, then you're going to move you know, as close to the right as you can, right? And Trump stands in between Haley and DeSantis. So they're all going to Trump. And so I don't see how Haley would have benefited from DeSantis staying in. And I certainly don't see how she's going to benefit with him out. But we'll see, I guess. I guess New Hampshire surprised people before. So they said on NPR, but (laughs) I'm not looking to be surprised.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those situations where in, I guess... The playoffs in basketball, I remember you used to hear the one seeds versus the eight seed, and they would be like, you know, anything can happen in this game. Anything can happen. And it's like, yeah, technically anything can happen, but it's probably not right. This thing is probably not going to happen. And I think that's the situation here. Uh, Haley looks like she's in a pretty bad position. And granted, I will say just these numbers alone, given what we know about where Trump sat. Throughout his tenure, it is pretty impressive that she picked up these numbers because Trump maintained at certain points like a 90 percent approval rating amongst frequent voters. He has at certain points in time had like a stranglehold on the party. And the fact that she can get anything at all, given how hard he's attacked her and given just that fact alone that there is this kind of cult of around Trump, it's impressive. You know, it, it was it was an impressive run. And I'm talking about it in the past tense now. I feel like it's probably by the time this comes out, it's probably going to be a done deal. I don't know if she'll have dropped out, but at the very least, she'll have lost New Hampshire. That'll be, that's that's my prediction.
0: We'll see, because I know Trump has been going off on this whole birther thing, which I know is this kind of original claim to fame, except instead of Haley, he was doing it to Obama. Like Nikki Haley said, America was never a racist country. So if there's any truth to that, Nikki, then I think there's a, a shot to you winning New Hampshire, right?
1: True. But uh, we can move on from the Republican side and we can talk about the Democratic side, which is no less already decided.
0: Yeah, this um, is like, oh man, it's like a bunch of like party poopers, this one. So the Democratic primary is a thing in New Hampshire, but it doesn't count. That's basically the gist of it. The DNC, with some nudging from Joe Biden, kind of switched their first in the nation state to South Carolina. So this stripped New Hampshire of its first-in-nation the status, which it held really ever since the Democrats uh, stopped putting the Iowa caucuses first. And so apparently there's something in the New Hampshire state constitution that says that the secretary of state has to go forward with counting the votes for their primary a week before the next state in the Democratic primary cycle. So they're not changing anything. The state Democrats clashed with the DNC. Joe Biden's name ultimately will not appear on the ballot because I guess he's going to uh, remain true to the DNC. So this creates a once-in-election cycle chance for Dean Phillips, Marianne Williamson, or Vermin Supreme to take the state. But it won't matter because none of the electors are going to wind up going to the nominating convention. So really, at this point, What the state Democrats are saying is that the Biden write-in campaign is going to basically just serve the purpose of, uh, quote, delivering a political message that could resonate in the state in November should Biden win the nomination, and that it would save the state the embarrassment of nominating a candidate who may not win. So I guess they're looking to appear right in November? (laughs) I don't know.
1: The polling indicates that even with Biden being written in, he gets 61% of the vote to Dean Phillips's 16 and Marianne, Marianne Williamson's five. So, even writing in, Biden is likely to totally clean up here, even though this doesn't count at all.
0: And so, ultimately, then, despite all this intra party fighting going on with the state Democrats and the DNC, and this state probably not even getting a slate of electors to send. Uh, over to somewhere in August, wherever the nominating convention is being held for the Democrats, the state election workers have to hand count write-in ballots. If 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 a name is written in, like because it's it's not like they can just put it through the machine or whatever it is that they do, a write-in ballot has to be hand-counted. So if Biden takes this state, it's because a lot of people spend a lot of time counting pieces of paper and electronic forms. So shout out to those people because they ultimately did it for no other reason than I guess believing in a democracy, I guess.
1: They really want their state to be first in the country really badly. So,
0: yeah, I don't know. I'd be pretty discouraged and pretty pissed if I was a New Hampshire voter. And so, of course, with Biden being a write in candidate, the candidates on the ballot are trying to barnstorm the state as best they can. And one of the candidates doing that is Dean Phillips. And so in the process of going through New Hampshire, Dean Phillips has locked up two key endorsements. The first is Andrew Yang, which we'll talk about. And the second one, like we said in the beginning of the pod, is somebody who people have been looking for for decades. And uh, no conspiracy theorists, it is not John F. Kennedy Jr. It's Bigfoot, Sasquatch. So, so we'll get to that because that's awesome. Starting out with Andrew Yang's. So Andrew Yang has been campaigning with Phillips in New Hampshire. Um, according to CNN, Phillips has also brought on some veterans to presidential campaigning into his campaign staff, into the kind of the upper echelons of his campaign staff. And these include guys who helped out with Yang's 2020 presidential campaign, as well as Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign, both of which, as we know, failed. So third time's a charm, I guess. and. Just an example of Yang on the stump for Phillips, the kind of things that he would say. So Yang said, quote, in this time of need, only one person decided to place his country above his professional aspirations, put his conviction above the chattering class. That is the man I'm proud to endorse tonight as the next president of the United States, three-term congressman from Minnesota, Dean Phillips. And worth noting, Phillips has done a little bit to perhaps uh, bring Yang over to his camp. Apparently, according to CNN, he's adopted policies like Medicare for all and universal basic income, which UBI is kind of something that became pretty intertwined with Andrew Yang for, for a couple of years now. So I don't know, Kevin, what, what do you think about this? I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised to see this from Andrew Yang. I mean, ever since he departed from the Democratic Party in 2021, I think he described it as a as a breakup. And then going on to create the third party, the forward party, you know, I expected him to kind of be out there for somebody. But I guess the question is, are there enough members of the Yang gang in New Hampshire to get Dean across the finish line here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've generally held a somewhat negative opinion of Andrew Yang for the most part. I think a lot of this third party stuff, it tends to be about some relatively semi-famous celebrity, not a very famous celebrity, a semi-famous celebrity, sometimes a not at all famous celebrity, who is on an ego trip and really wants to be president and complains about how, oh, the DNC, they're, they're ruining my life. They're, they don't want me to be president, blah, blah, blah. And it's always just kind of nonsense. And I always felt like Yang, if he really wanted to like do something with his ideas, probably could have won a congressional seat. But instead, he ran for president, and then he ran for mayor of New York City, which is one of the worst jobs you can have if you actually want to get anything done. But I will say, a lot of the stuff that he's done in later in in later years after his campaigns and stuff, I haven't been as sour on. I'm not. I'm not totally opposed to the idea of third parties, although I don't think that they're this like salvific thing that Andrew Yang thinks they are, and other people seem to think they are. Um, I'm not opposed to the idea of it. And I think if you are going to push for third party runs, or if you are going to push for like new, a new approach to things that paves like a third way, you should probably do it understanding the way that our current party structure works. And running for president as a third party is probably the worst way to advocate for third parties because it makes people hate third parties. <laughs> so I I do like that he's doing this where like Dean Phillips is a guy who's running in a primary, he's not running a third party campaign, he's not RFK he, Jr. He might though. Phillips hasn't put it
0: off. If he hasn't oh, like Democratic he's... nom, he hasn't he hasn't ruled it out.
1: Oh well he he turned down no labels, I saw. I didn't I don't know that he I didn't know that he said he hadn't turned it down, but I
0: believe he said if he knew that it would wouldn't be something that would hurt Biden. It wouldn't take votes away from Biden, he would do it. But in defense of Andrew Yang, I do think he's Come around to playing third-party politics, right? Because he's doing what a lot of these third-party candidates don't want to do. You know, they just want to run for president. He's getting involved in local elections, and he's finding candidates that align with, you know, the voters in that area, and I guess perhaps the ideas of the forward party. Um, whether they be Republican, whether they be Democrat, I don't always like the people, but you know, that's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. Um, but he's focusing on local elections. He's advancing candidates from already established political parties and just laying the foundation for this forward party. And I do like a lot of the ideas of it. I think that's where I kind of, my bias for for liking Andrew Yang comes from is maybe just being blinded by the fact that I like UBI. I like ranked choice voting. I see no reason why we should vote the way that we do. <laughs> there should be ranked choice voting, get rid of the electoral college, and... I mean, come on! This is this is the modern day. Like we like we can do this. We can do it differently. So I don't know. I, there's parts of Andrew Yang I like. There's parts I don't. But uh, I I think it only helps Phillips to have a guy like Yang in his corner. I don't see how it could hurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree that I think Andrew Yang is making the moves that will actually have you succeed as a third party. I'm just really skeptical that. They actually have an ideology that's distinct from the Democratic Party. If you talk to Democratic voters about rank choice voting and UBI, most of them probably support that. And so why would you not just like work within a party that already exists so you could take advantage of their funding and the existing party superstructure to push your ideas rather than trying to form this whole new party and risking putting people off about your ideas, which is that's kind of where I come from. Um, whereas like with the Libertarian Party, as much as I think that they're insane, at least they have like a distinct ideology that, that doesn't fit with either party. To me, Andrew Yang's party seems to, to basically fit with the Democrats almost I completely. Know.
0: I don't know. I would read, read his book forward. You'll get to say his, his vision does kind of uh, distinctly kind of pull itself out of uh, Democratic and Republican mandates, if you will.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe I'll check it out. Um, Is it's a book, for the very least? Certainly, his like main his main policies that he put it's the one the ones you brought up, Ranked choice voting and UBI are like his big sticking points, and those are things that if you talk to most Democratic voters, they'll support those things. They like those things. So it's it just it's strange to me if those are like your. I mean, maybe there's other policies in that book that I don't know about. But there's other um, stuff.
0: Those those are the big ones, but there's other stuff too.
1: Yeah, which, which again, even if, if, if you have these two really big policies that you support and then you have a couple other things where you're like, okay, I kind of support like Republican type stuff here. I kind of support Democrat stuff here. You can still be like an outlier within a party. You know, like Joe Manchin, obviously for years, has been the bane of the Democratic Party's existence because he doesn't agree with them on everything. That's an option. That's like one of the options in our political parties as well. But I, I think we should probably move on from Andrew Yang. We're not doing an episode on him. so
0: Yeah, let Yang do his thing. So the other endorsement that Dean Phillips locked up was Bigfoot, who we all know is a resident of New Hampshire. This I, this I thought was pretty interesting. And I'm wondering if we could almost uh, step into the Joe Biden war room and figure out how you would clap back at a campaign ad as powerful as this. So of the $5 million that Dean Phillips spent on advertising in New Hampshire, one of his ads was... Bigfoot. And uh, I'll just read from the transcript of this because it, it's it's not very long, but it's just, it's Bigfoot saying what I'm about to read. Interspersed is footage of like ghost town, like telephone pole, like wanted Joe Biden, you know, like the, the whole idea of just why should you vote for Joe Biden in uh, New Hampshire when he's not even on the ballot or trying in New Hampshire. So here's what Bigfoot says. So he says, I'm something of an expert on elusive creatures. So I challenged myself to find President Biden in New Hampshire during this primary season. I thought I was good at hiding. So I asked around, have you seen Joe? I mean, how can you have tens of thousands of people looking for you all the time and not one person finds you? I've looked for him everywhere. Even the Democratic primary debate. No Joe, but I did keep seeing this guy. This guy, Dean Phillips, who's everywhere. It's like he actually cared about what people were telling him, a politician that cares. Well, that's scarcer than Joe Biden in New Hampshire. I started to wonder, I mean, has Joe Biden even been here at all? Never did find Joe Biden. Now some big money super PAC is telling us to vote for him. Why write him in when he's written us off? And then Dean comes in, I'm Dean Phillips, candidate president, and I approve of this message. So first of all, Kevin, what do you think of this ad and how does Biden strike back? Does he bring the Loch Ness Monster into this? Kind of stage a fake photo of Dean Phillips' Loch Ness Monster? You know, we've never, you know, this photo is debunked. Dean Phillips isn't running for president.
1: I have to imagine that the Biden campaign right now is on the phone with the Loch Ness Monster, the Mothman, the Chupacabra.
0: Yeah. Chupacabra's tough. Loch Ness Monster's tough because they're not American.
1: The Chupacabra, you know, you might do pretty well with the uh, Latin American community, Doing that, who maybe knows? the chief of yeah. coverage is
0: a citizenship test away from from be being yeah, American. I, you know, maybe summers in New Mexico. You know, I was like, you know, what, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna become an American citizen. But yeah, I don't know. This definitely got my attention, and I, I gotta say, for the very least, the line where he has Sasquatch say, "Why write him in when he's written us off?" As just somebody who appreciates the English language and putting together good sentences, and just never seeing that in American politics and political rhetoric. It's a good one. It's a zinger. And ultimately, New Hampshire, write them in or don't. Your vote doesn't count in your primary, right? So it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, All right. And so we'll close out the show like we always do with Feeling the Burgum with Doug Burgum, formerly in memory of the 2024 Doug Burgum presidential campaign, which was something that had us inspired. This guy came out of the North Dakota wilderness. We'd never heard of him. Turns out he's governor. He ran a campaign for president. We were rooting for him. And then- he dropped out. So this segment is morphing into something that I think is just ugly because it used to be if you've been listening about things that get us excited, could be something that we want to rant about, could be something that we're pumped about, but I find myself just becoming pissed about Doug Burgum. I'm I'm feeling the Burgum about Doug Burgum and how he's getting the spotlight shilling for Trump. Recently Like we were talking about earlier in the pod, uh, Trump was or is going on this whole birther rant about Nikki Haley, kind of saying that she is not eligible to run this election because even though she was born in South Carolina, but her parents, I guess, came over from India and uh, she's not a naturalized citizen, blah, blah, blah. And somebody was interviewing Doug Burgum, who has come out wholeheartedly endorsing Trump, now stumps for Trump. And I guess now people actually know who the fuck he is, aside from just us and people who are terminally tuned into politics. And he was asked what he thought about Trump pulling this whole Bertha thing on Nikki Haley and uh, what he thought that – and whether he thought that that was a healthy thing to do in political rhetoric and if it was like something productive to say as far as bringing the country together. And he basically just tried to throw the question by trying to say crazy shit that Elizabeth Warren had said, Bernie had said, Biden had said. And when he was pressed to answer the question by the interviewer, which, you know, to her credit, good for her, he basically just said, Well, look, that's politics. That's how it works. So, Doug, I guess that's how you roll racism in politics, xenophobia in politics, anti immigration sentiment. Or I guess I already said that in the form of xenophobia. Uh just business as usual, just boys being boys, right?
1: Yeah. And One of the things that grinds my gears about this, or you you might say, I feel the Bergam about this, is these guys cry so many crocodile tears about the idea that Trump might get removed from the ballot and how it's so anti-democratic and how, oh, it's the, it's, we're a tin pot dictatorship. It's the end of democracy because Trump might not be on the ballot. And yet they're shilling actively for Trump. As he campaigns to get Nikki Haley removed from the ballot because she's born in another country. That's the whole reason that he's spreading that conspiracy, because he wants to get her removed from the ballot. How can you take yourself seriously and just allow this thing to fly? I mean, it's just so embarrassing. These guys have no principles. They have no real beliefs underneath. They just kind of allow all this stuff to go on and actively shill for it, knowing that it's just totally false. Um, And it's just it's gross. Frankly, yeah, it, it makes me nauseous
0: because it's just so disgusting. I mean, I, I just don't get how you could have such little self-respect that because he's not doing this for us, right? He's not doing this for the American people. He's not even doing this really for himself. He's doing this completely for Trump, so that he can say, "Hey, remember when you said that crazy racist shit about Nikki Haley? Well, I said it was okay, so I'm completely loyal to you." So, because uh, because cause that's what Trump needs, you know, he is so insecure that he needs that undying loyalty. So he not only needs to have crushed you underneath his boot like he did with Doug Burgum, but he needs you to kiss his ass and kiss his ring and, uh, I don't know, suck his cock. It, it's just the most demeaning, debasing thing. And I just cannot imagine. This is what Republican politics has come down to. And it's just absolutely gross. These people are going to be viewed on, by history like as, as cowards, as sycophants. It's
1: Ugh. Yep. And I mean, to be fair, we did always know that Doug Burgum was like this, at least for me personally. The whole feeling the Burgum thing was a joke because he was never a serious candidate. He literally had to pay his way onto the stage, bribe people to support him. Yep. And but I mean, when he was on that stage, I think a lot of people maybe just didn't realize. Well, not a lot of people because most people don't know his name. But, you know, some people, I think because he couldn't really get a word in edgewise really at all they just kind of didn't actually really know what he was about and just he was like this goofy nobody with bushy eyebrows and a boot on his leg (laughs) and so you know he seemed so harmless that it was like ha ha, he he." and he is harmless to be fair like none of this stuff really matters nobody is out there you know there's like maybe what like 12 people in north dakota who know his name and who care about his endorsement and the rest of us are just like doug who but you know Either way, still gross, still demeaning to your own character, totally lacking in self-respect. Hey, yeah, I agree with you. You know, that's just that is just par for the course at this point with the Republicans. All of the people who had their own identity and their ability to actually stand for what they believe in have basically been chased out of the party. Mitt Romney's gone. Liz Cheney's gone. Nikki Haley's about to be gone. That's and that's just part of the Percy's course. He's
0: gone. Yeah, it's Yeah. It's not it's Trump's party, and I'm sure those listening, you're not hearing that for the first time or the last. But so I guess ultimately we'll wrap it there, and uh, we'll have to see about this segment in the future. If Doug Burgum continues to debase himself on a uh, stage that's actually relatively sizable, playing to Trump's crowd, then uh, yeah, we might have to shed ties with this guy. Not a great guy.
1: Or maybe this segment can evolve, evolve into a segment about betrayal.
0: Yeah, I mean, hell, feeling that from a lot of a lot of my fellow countrymen in this uh, this young democracy of ours. But all right, folks. So that's that's about all for us this week. So uh, stay safe, stay sane, and uh, we will talk to you next week.
1: Before you head out, feel free to subscribe and rate us. Leave a friendly comment on the way out. It really helps the podcast when you do. And if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find our Twitter or Instagram in the description below. We'll keep you updated about the show, and we'll also fill your feed with plenty of good old-fashioned memes. Follow us on Facebook as well if you're a Facebook person. Just type The Almost Presidents Podcast into that search bar. And lastly, you can write into the show. Our Gmail is thealmostpresidentspodcast at gmail.com, which you can also find in the description.